Hello everyone, welcome back to La Saludable Latina podcast. I am your host, Lilia Gomez. I've created this space to promote health awareness within women's health topics. Each episode is made with love and support with the purpose of inspiring and empowering you to motivate each other to live a healthier lifestyle. The information shared on the podcast is not a substitution for medical advice or treatment. As always, please follow up with your medical providers for questions or concerns regarding your health. In this week's episode, I had the pleasure to interview Helen Palomino, CEO, licensed clinical social worker from the Cancer Research Center of the Desert. So before we get started with episode numero 31, number 31, I want to briefly introduce you to Helen's background. Helen Palomino is a licensed clinical social worker and CEO of the Cancer Resource Center of the Desert. In 2008, she graduated with a master's degree in social work from San Diego State University School of Social Work which is two hours away from her home, Brawley, California. During her second year internship at UCSD Thornton Hospital, she helped cancer patients at Morris Cancer Center and witnessed these patients making the same commute from Imperial County to receive treatment in San Diego. Mrs. Palomino realized that while the commute was difficult for her, it was tremendous burden and barrier to treatment for those living with cancer in Imperial County. She witnessed the pressing need for improved access to cancer care in Imperial County and felt that she was a person who could help fill this need. After graduating, she joined CRCD as a medical social worker. The Cancer Resource Center of the Desert is the only local nonprofit community-based organization providing comprehensive care patient navigation to individuals living in the Imperial Valley community. Over 2,400 Imperial County patients have been served since 2006, and all services are provided at no cost to the patient. In 2017, Mrs. Palomino was appointed as CEO. Under Mrs. Palomino's leadership, CRCD continues to provide clinical patient navigation, a unique service to cancer patients, by removing barriers to cancer care to support the health needs of the patients during the treatment. CRCD's clinical patient navigation program served over 512 patients in 2017. Clinical patient navigation addresses the emotional and practical needs of cancer patients through one-on-one home visits, support groups, assistance in accessing healthcare services, and navigating the complexities of treatment. Local oncologists refer their patients to CRCD to provide psychoeducation and offer information and referral to access medical cannabis for cancer-related symptoms relief. In collaboration with cannabis consultant Tammy Thomas, CRCD provides education to patients, their family members, and caregivers to dispel the myths and answer questions about medical cannabis. The essential collaboration with Mrs. Thomas provides opportunities for CRCD patients to receive tailored medical cannabis guidance to help them understand access and successfully utilize cannabis to relieve nausea, pain, poor appetite, and anxiety. Currently, CRCD is conducting a study on advanced care planning which includes perspectives of cancer patients and use of cannabis. Mrs. Palomino holds a certificate in post-MSW palliative social work from Cal State University San Marcos. She is an adjunct professor at SDSU Imperial Valley Campus for the School of Social Work MSW program. She is a field instructor for MSW interns from San Diego State University of School of Social Work 
and and for bachelor associate social work interns from Northern Arizona University. She has received four consecutive outstanding field instructor awards from these institutions. She has been published five times in peer-reviewed journals, and her most recent work is in the January 2018 issue of Journal of Cancer Education, Efficacy of Cancer Care Communication Between Clinicians and Latino Patients in the Rural U.S.-Mexico Border Region, a qualitative study of barriers and facilitators to better communication. Going forward, Mrs. Palomino continues to bridge the gaps to cancer care in her community and remains committed to working with researchers in raising awareness of Latino cancer health disparities. So without further ado, let's get into episode numero 31. Hola chicas, welcome back to La Saludable Latina. I have a special guest with me today, Ellen Palomino, the CEO and licensed clinical social worker for the Cancer Resource Center of the Desert area. Helen, how are you today? Hi, Lilia. I'm doing very well, thank you, and thanks for inviting me. Thank you for coming on board and being able to have this plática with us today because I think it's really important because I was able to meet you at a breast health collaborative and my mind was just like, I need to interview Helen to to spread awareness about her work, but also the resources that you are coming across for certain individuals that have been diagnosed with cancer. So Helen, if you don't mind, what got you into clinical social work? Well, um, it was interesting. I I have a background in business and I it wasn't in social work, it wasn't in medical. However, I've always had a desire to work with people who are ill and and going into the medical field, but all of my schooling was in business, for business administration. Ultimately, I had the opportunity to do some volunteer work at a hospice, and I had no training, but I was shadowing a social worker and providing translation in Spanish just to see if this was something I wanted to do. And as difficult as the subject was and the encounters that I was involved in, it was absolutely a clarity for me to know this was the arena of helping people and as a medical social worker made complete sense to me. So it was at that point I was prepared to, after discussion with my husband and loving working in this capacity, that I actually decided to apply for a master's in social work at San Diego State in San Diego. I live in Imperial County, so for three years I commuted to San Diego to obtain this master's in social work. Wow, I'm really impressed because most people, when they say San Diego and they're like miles and miles away from the university, they kind of have second thoughts. So that kind of gives me a bit of inspiration to see if I need to travel to be able to finish my master's degree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, well, it's an arena that I felt, you know, I finally figured out what I want to be when I grow up. And so it helped me to be very clear, finally, uh, after many years, the direction I wanted to go. And I absolutely have such a deep respect and appreciation for this field that, to me, it's... uh, it's challenging and lovely. And I am very inspired by the people I help. And I'm inspired by the way I have the privilege of doing the work. So let's talk that for just a bit. So you were able to get your master's in social work from San Diego State University. And after you graduated, what was the direction that you took after that? Well, I 
thought I was going to be a hospital social worker because I really, really liked it. I did my internship, my set, my last year internship at UCSD Thornton Hospital, and I learned so much there. And I also was able to interface with Moore's Cancer Center, which is right next to it. And it is there that some of the patients that were cancer patients were being hospitalized, and so I was working with both services. And in my work as an intern there, I came across the agency of the Cancer Resource Center of the Desert in Imperial County, which I was not aware of because I had a patient who was from Imperial County and I was seeking services to support them at home. And that's when I was introduced to the founder of the Cancer Resource Center, Diana Peacher. And I told her, I'm graduating in June of 2008. And I said, I will volunteer with you. I love what you're doing. And so once I graduated, that's exactly what I did. I started volunteering at the Cancer Resource Center of the Desert and it just expanded my my mind so much because there are so many needs that our cancer patients had at that time and continue to have and I was able to do the work uh, as a volunteer and I was ultimately hired in 2009 and I concurrently was hired in another agency as a home health social worker so concurrently that's where I got my feet wet in the arena of medical social worker. That is amazing. So when you were on the self-discovery to do your volunteer work at the Cancer Resource Center of the Desert and then being hired and then being offered another job for social work home health visits, you ended up actually making a decision to go with the Cancer Resource Center of the Desert, correct? Yes, actually, I, I held both positions concurrently. Um, the home health position that I held uh, worked around my schedule at the Cancer Resource Center. And so uh, in the home health agency, I dealt with all kinds of chronic diseases, individuals who were homebound, and helping them access support and resources in that situation. At the same time, working at the Cancer Resource Center of the Desert, it complemented itself uh, and I was there for many, many years. So Helen, during your volunteer work and during the time that you were doing some work with the home visits, what were some of the things that you were seeing being barriers for patients, but also too, because I've noticed that you've done so much work in the Latino community. Can you pinpoint what actually drove you into the passion to bring awareness in the Latino community for Cancer Resource Center services? First of all, the, the center, the services at the center, our service is called patient navigation. We're social workers, and the service is at no cost to the patient. We are not a hospital or clinic-based. We're an independent, community-based organization. And what we do is we design our interventions for anyone living in our community diagnosed with cancer. We, our whole goal is to remove barriers to their care. Barriers could be maybe they don't have insurance or they don't understand their diagnosis or they cannot get to their treatment or they're not being approved for certain protocols. So we design our work completely around what their needs are. And that's what makes it very different because the people we help, the majority are uh, monolingual Spanish speaking. And uh, the challenge living on the U.S.-Mexico border is um, people sometimes get their primary care 
in Mexico. Either they're paying cash for it or their medical insurance, the medical providers are in Mexico. And so if they're diagnosed with cancer, it's a real challenge because they generally want to have their treatment in the United States. So we have learned, figure out a way to transition them for their care in the United States. So as we design our interventions around the needs of our patients, they have been our greatest teachers. There's no handbook for the work we do and the means in which we've accomplished it. And so they have been our teachers. And what we have learned to do is establish very powerful networks with the Department of Social Services, Social Security, regional and state programs that are available to support our patients and building that network. What we, if we encounter a situation we don't have an answer to or we cannot, you know, we don't know what to do about it, we are really great at leveraging the expertise of many people. And it is that genuine commitment to learn about the best way to achieve a positive outcome for our cancer patients that has helped us to grow in our own reputation locally. Uh, we have very strong social capital here and a lot of respect in our community. And we also have respect binationally. We have established a network with specialists and physicians in Mexico, including the University uh, UABC, which is the Universidad Autónoma de Baja California. They've been uh, working with us to figure out ways to better help our cancer patients. And yet our our focus of service is Imperial County, but our population is binational. So we had to learn what they're going into Mexico for and figuring out a way to complement their service provide their medical service providers as they want to transition into getting their care in the United States. So it's been a steep learning uh, curve for us all these years, and it keeps evolving. Our patients, uh, many of them have very low literacy mm -hmm. and even lower health literacy. Yes. So they don't even understand the disease. They don't understand the urgency of fulfilling those appointments, getting to those appointments. And then if things aren't approved, then we push the system. We work with the physicians, we work with the systems, the insurance companies, whatever it takes to open the path so that our patients can achieve their cancer care. That is such amazing work because that is one of the barriers that I have seen in San Diego County after coming from Texas and even in Texas alone too. I have seen many barriers where patients in certain communities, uh, specifically in the Latinos community who are low in literacy, especially medical terminology, there's, yeah. they're like mindless about the diagnosis and we're trying to help navigate and connect those resources. And sometimes what does happen is they end up being lost to follow-ups or they end up not yeah. going to their appointments because they don't really understand. And the difference is like when they go to a certain provider or clinic, they have the support. All of a sudden, they build that relationship, that confidence that we have of support for them. But once they go to a specialist provider, it kind of falls off from there. And sometimes they kind of lose touch to following up with the more specialists that they need. But you also touch on something really important is that you often provide services for patients that are diagnosed with cancer, specifically Latinos, um, Spanish-speaking, low literacy. How do you help a patient who all of a sudden got diagnosed with a cancer diagnosis here in the States, 
but all of a sudden wants to cross over to get treatment. And if treatment doesn't go well in Mexico, trying to come back to the States because we had an opportunity to touch bases at the Breast Health Collaborative in regards to that. And of course, in another forum that you were in, and I was like, I wanted to get your perspective so people can be aware of it's not that easy, but it's possible. Well, as a social worker, our, our one of our values is to start where the individual is and to honor their perspective of what they want. But sometimes if they're not fully informed, they don't know what opportunities to take advantage of or to what decision to make. We are very much about informed decision making. And because of the fact that they have cancer, our goal is to create the optimal means of treatment that they are seeking. What we have seen is the the direction where, say, they're diagnosed in Mexico and they start their treatment plan in Mexico. The issue for the our constituents is this. If they have medical insurance and the medical insurance is paying for uh, the surgery the, or, and maybe the starting of their chemotherapy, if that's what they so choose, that medical insurance is going to run out because it has a very low cap. It's very common. Or people are spending their life savings getting whatever treatments they can in Mexico until they run out of money, then they're stuck. I guess a destination for a referral from a physician in Mexico or a hospital or a health service in Mexico or word of mouth when people end up with us, the time has passed. Uh, we just need to get all their medical records and the logistics involved for establishing their care. But it always begins with helping the individual understand what their cancer is and what it's not. Starting from what they understand and how they are feeling about that and what are their other concerns. So as we align ourselves with their circumstance and understanding what they're wanting, our goal is to facilitate that. We Most of our patients who have been uh, begun cancer treatment in Mexico do want to get their treatment in the United States. And so the, the difference is also in Mexico, you have excellent oncologists and you have very good care. However, they are challenged with technology. And so the technology of radiation oncology, the, there, there are no clinical trials available for them. So options are expanded in the United States. And these are, these are people who are legal residents, who are U.S. citizens here, that want to continue their treatment here. So we consider, and it's an education a continual education around what is happening and the timeliness that we must adhere to because we don't want the cancer to worsen and and become much more complex in its treatment. I completely agree and I I'm so amazed of all the work that you have been doing in the Cancer Research Center in the Desert Valley because I am sure you're seeing the need and you also not only tap into informing and educating so they can understand the diagnosis, but guiding them through the the whole system from beginning to end and really understanding the diagnosis and seeing what type of decision do they want to make. Have you ever come across a patient that completely doesn't understand and makes a decision right away and maybe needs more support to really understand the decision that they're making? Absolutely. Um, What we have seen, because many people who do start their treatment in Mexico for its diagnosed, it's a woman with breast cancer, for example. It's very common for surgery to occur at the beginning on the front end. And it's just the nature of the limitations that, that occur in, in Mexico. But maybe that surgery was almost premature. 
because there's an aspect if a woman has breast cancer, in some cases, there's what's called neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which is a chemotherapy uh, given to the patient to shrink the tumor. And if the tumor is strong and responds, surgery can still occur, but it's not so drastic where they're removing the whole breast or maybe just can be a lumpectomy where they remove the lump. But if the person is starting out and they were a good candidate for that, but they start with the surgery of removal of their breast, well, neoadjuvant is no longer an option, which could have been less trauma to the body. But it, we just find them in different scenarios. So if that is the case, some women have been uh, misdiagnosed into an advanced stage of cancer, and the reality is they weren't. So it's challenging to assess and help them right where they began with us and then for them to find out that, oh man, I didn't need that total mastectomy. I didn't need to have 18 lymph nodes removed. Um, I didn't have any, uh, I only had one lymph node that was affected, but we took off 18. And the permanent side effect is, is lymphedema and weakness in the arm that it was removed from. So there's these strong, and it's not just from Mexico, it occurs here in the United States as yes, well. Yes. So informing them of their options and, and helping them to think about if you choose X, the Y will occur. If you choose other options, that will occur. What do you think? What do you understand? How can we help you? Do you want us to help communicate with your doctor? Or this is what you can ask the doctor. Or we will write a letter to the doctor. Or we will accompany them to their doctor's oncology appointment. There's all kinds of ways that we make that work. And we meet them in so many variety of ways. Now, it's not just women. We work with men. We work with women. We work with children. And children is a whole nother category of challenges. Children diagnosed from, with cancer from Imperial County must go to a specialty hospital such as uh, Radies Children's Hospital. And when that occurs, a parent must go with them and that parent's gone for weeks with that sick child. Well, if they're a single mom with other children, other family must be mobilized to attend to the rest of the family at home. So decisions, information, support, that's where we start with. And what's really interesting, sometimes when they come to us, they come to us what we call unvetted. Many times if these patients, they might have insurance, they might not have insurance. But then they have insurance, maybe they've never gone to see a primary care doctor. They have, maybe they've been going to Mexicali for all of their primary care. And then all of a sudden they have cancer. They don't even know how to engage the system. I think the power to our work is we, it is truly patient-centered. It is about following that patient. We cross systems. We cross treatment modalities. We cross clinics because we are connected to the patient within their own environment. We have the perspective that if we, in Imperial County, it can reach up to 118 degrees in the summer, and if their electricity is being cut off because they can't afford the bill, it's life or death for them. And so, or they don't have a vehicle and they're trying to take the bus to get to their treatment. They cannot be walking to their, from the bus stop to the doctor's clinic in that kind of heat. So there's so many issues and, and challenges. And so for us, we look at the logistics and practicality and the financial impact that having cancer does. So we approach individuals from their perspective. So when they come to us unbedded, a lot of times, even though they have cancer, they 
don't even want to start treatment because the big question is, how am I going to support my family? I have to keep working. And we have to tell them, you can't continue working with this diagnosis if you don't get treatment. You will ultimately end up in a premature death. So helping them with that decision tree, that figuring out, okay, what can to begin establishing treatment plan at the same time, maintaining financial support at the same time, who's helping you at home, how's your family managing, the holistic approach. And that's the power to our work. And we love the fact that we're not hospital-based or clinic-based. Now, we have a contract with with the clinic, but we're based by from ourselves and we absolutely have a lot of freedom with that because of the way we address the different problems and issues from an independent perspective. I think it's really amazing all the work that you're doing especially when you're really trying to support the individual and make them understand that when a cancer is diagnosed the importance of them starting treatment versus delaying because in Acomodal Latina we're we're very good at delaying care. We're very good at delaying appointments. We're very good at if I'm not really dying right now right now it can wait and I love that fact that you bring the whole perspective of the holistic approach because you're not clinical based and you're not hospital based having that said I know that you provide clinical navigation that addresses the emotional and practical needs of cancer patients through one-to-one home visits support groups and assistance and accessing healthcare services and navigating the complexities of treatment what type of emotional support do you provide the patients that are going through this hard diagnosis in their lifetime for themselves and for their families? Well, what we try to do as we engage from the first engagement, be it by telephone or as a walk-in, and that's another thing is we take walk-in. We do schedule appointments, but we're also very sensitive to, to the fact that they have so many appointments and limited stamina. And so we have a walk-in basis, and we will address them as they come in. And when they come, they're treated with a lot of respect, kindness, and dignity. That is just a commitment we have because sometimes they lose as they interface with our health system. They're not, they don't feel like a human being. They sometimes feel like a number. Yes. And so we engage from that space. And that's the beginning of that therapeutic experience with them. As we sit down with them and begin our initial assessment, it's a conversation. Granted, we have documentation that we have to be filling out. As we begin that, we start identifying what their needs are, what their concerns are. And we begin the process of if they need emotional support, understanding what this illness is, what its impact is, the best way to integrate it into their life and into their mind and lifestyle along with their family. So our goal, the clinical patient navigation means that we are providing counseling services that are very specifically designed for them and in their language. And so it's very appropriate for how we help and support them. During that whole process, there's a lot of psychoeducation that occurs. The more understanding they have about what is happening and what they should be communicating to the doctor's symptoms, that all comes into play. But psychoeducation is one of my favorite interventions because it's so simple sometimes. And when it's explained in, a, in an environment that is in our office, our patient room, it's a little sofa, it's a comfortable chair, we do have a phone and a tiny little desk, but it's comfortable. It's not a doctor's office. We do not wear scrubs. We do not wear a white coat. So we're professionals and 
engaging them with a genuine interest and curiosity to support, that is so validating and helpful for them to feel heard and supported. Now, granted, they get education at the oncology office as well, but their listening is not quite the same or the or the physician doesn't speak Spanish, so they're having to use an interpreter. So at our office, we're able to provide that counseling aspect, that educational support, that aligning with advocating to different systems that they need to interface with. They feel uh, heard, supported, and uh, it's an environment where the clinicians know their story. And their story, they don't have to repeat it over and over. So we have a capacity on how we do our documentation and communication as a team to understand who our patients are. So far this year, we are at 393 patients. We have a population of 172,000. And so it, and we don't serve everybody in the community. It's whoever can come to us, they're welcome. But there are people in our community that we have not helped. But those that have been helped are very complex. Their circumstances are complex. What we've been able to determine is it takes over 62 hours of our clinical service, be it at multifaceted service, uh, to help someone over the course of their treatment and their families. And that is on a low minimal end because all of the back work that has to occur communicating with social security, insurance companies, and pharmaceutical companies to help with copay assistance with their patients, with other foundational work, it is labor intensive because it's the nature of the population. We're medically underserved. For someone in San Diego, for example, goes to a comprehensive cancer center and they need a PET scan and then they need to have some lab work and things need to be read and done, is done quickly. In our case, it is 10 times difficult of depth and challenges that our patients have to achieve just to get a PET scan or just to get certain type of lab work because it's tenuous. They they can lose, for different reasons, lose their coverage, lose their appointment, not arrive at their appointment because maybe they didn't have money or they didn't have transportation or there was no one to care for their children at home, all kinds of reasons. And it's just, there's not a lot of specialists here, so appointments are difficult if they're lost they lose their appointment to get the next appointment. It's just complex and compounded. So all of that practical logistics along with their counseling is the whole picture of our clinical work. I'd say about 25% of our work is billable and the other 75% is not billable because of the way we work so diligently. And so our service, we do try to, for sustainability, we're Medicare providers, we can do billing, uh, but that's a small portion. We do rely heavily on donations and on grants and contracts in ways that are very creative and we really stretch our dollar. We're a team of six clinicians, one of which is focused on outreach and early detection, providing short-term counseling to individuals to help them be aware of their body, uh, go to the doctor and help themselves in that way, both men, women, and just good information for their sisters, mothers, lovers, everybody. And we go to untypical places like to a labor contractor who on payday and people are in a big gigantic line 
waiting for their paycheck. Well, our outreach worker, our navigator gets out there and she will engage them as they're waiting. We also participate in health fairs, but those uh, labor contracts or or even at housing complexes, meetings are made for people who live there just to put the information out. But it comes from a space of respect, understanding their culture, the language, the challenges of our local healthcare system. It is a very kind service, and that's our outreach worker. The rest of the team were all master's level trained clinicians. And so I am very proud of the fact that we can function at so many levels, very specifically clinically, as well as the practical side of the matter. But we straddle different, we clinical, the, the oncology center, we straddle the uh, hospice care when that someone ultimately goes into hospice, and we work with palliative care. And there's a new palliative service now available in our community for people who have less than a year to live. Well, that fits for people who are receiving palliative chemotherapy and are not wanting to go into hospice yet. So we work with different systems with the goal of ensuring that our patients are having their needs met in a variety of ways. Thank you so much for sharing all that wonderful information as we're trying to create awareness in our comunidades, especialmente the Latino communities. Mm -hmm. With that said, I also got to meet you once more at the Cannabis Forum. And I wanted to touch bases on this because it's a not a new trend because it's been an existing trend that's been going on with cannabis and cancer-related symptoms for relief. But can you touch a bit about some of the work that you're doing with access to medical cannabis and the options that patients have if they're wanting to seek that type of treatment? Yes. With the, with the laws that have changed in the state of California, medical uh, use for marijuana has been legal, but the recreational use of that has recently passed. In my community, we're barely approving dispens- local dispensaries and, and delivery services, etc. The reason we became uh, involved in this aspect is many of our patients for years have been asking us, what about using marijuana to help me? What about that? And, and we honestly didn't have the answer. Mm-hmm. We would send them back to their oncologist and their oncologists were like, uh, we don't know either. So what we ultimately did is we began to educate ourselves on this medicinal plant of marijuana as well as hemp. And so as we began to educate ourselves about the benefits of it, we came to know a cannabis consultant who was very effective at helping our cancer patients. Now, we are a 501c3, so we're federally sanctioned a nonprofit organization. So federally, marijuana is still a Schedule One drug. So we have to to walk a very specific path. We stay in our lane when it comes to that. So we are not a dispensary. However, what we have become is a resource for information and explaining what this plant and this medicine is and what it's not and here's the information and if and if patients want access to that medicine here are your options here you can access it through you can go out of county because there's no local dispensaries at this time you can access a delivery service or you can access a cannabis consultant giving them their options that's what we do as patient navigators give people information and referral so they can access it themselves. But we are a repository of education, psychoeducation. So when our oncologists refer a patient to us, it is for that. It is for that information and how would they go about accessing it, what it does, what 
what this plant can do. Some people have had some very powerful responses where some cancers have been reduced and others, nothing's changed. Or they're using it for symptoms such as nausea or pain or appetite, different things. But all that information is anecdotal. So for us, we also are very aware of our culture. It is very common for people to go uh, in, in a homeopathic, naturalist perspective, going to a curandero for some yes. guidance and some herbs and things to take. That's very common already. And our guidance is, if you're going to do that, please tell your oncologist this is what you're taking. So when people have come to us specifically about cannabis, it is the same approach. Please Speak to your doctor, let them know this is what you're intending on taking so they are aware if there are some other, as they're on their treatment plan. But for us to help, we're kind of like in an in-between place. There's not quite enough research to, to guide a patient into how to use this medicine. And at the same time, they're desperately seeking relief and support. And then you have you have these traditional healers who over centuries have been working with natural plants. So our goal is to help them access the, the most reputable sources for that, but it is ultimately the choice of the patient. And so we walk a delicate path, but the goal is if our patient is asking for information and where to go, this is what is available. This is what you may have to go out of county. This is what has worked for some people. And so this is the information for that appropriateness and what needs to be done if they need a medical recommendation card. Or if not, they're going to go the route of recreational, meaning they're not required to have a card. They just have to pay more taxes when they buy their medicine at a dispensary. And some people don't want a medical card because maybe they own a firearm or something. And so they'll access that medicine as a, you know, to help them in other ways. So for us, it's, it's about this is a need. This is the need for the information and access that they're looking for. And this is some of the research that we know of. Now, one of the things we have begun is we started a study, an IRB-approved study, that looks at advanced care planning and addressing their quality of life. Through, and this is through San Diego State, and it's got IRB approval. And one of the surveys under this aspect of quality of life is as people are addressing their quality of life, we want to know the perspectives of cancer patients in their use of cannabis. And so this particular uh, survey comes to us from one of the researchers out of Dr. Stephen Pergam out of the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Washington State. And they've already done this particular uh, survey to cancer patients. And they have found in their results that patients not only use cannabis to treat all of those general symptoms of uh, the typical symptoms of nausea, appetite, and sleep and pain, but they have also found surprisingly that their patients are also using this and finding relief from anxiety and depression. So there's something to be said about that. And so for us, we're still in the in the research aspect of the survey. They started early this year and we are continuing. So it's an interesting perspective uh, what our cancer patients have done in the past, what they're interested in, and what they are currently doing. So it's kind of a beginning of a identifying what their needs are and what their interests are. 
That's very amazing. Thank you so much for being able to tap into that and give us a really good explanation on how patients should actually perceive uh, treatments, especially when they're seeing specialists like oncologists and surgeons, especially the oncologists, to make sure that they're communicating very well if they're actually doing a holistic approach. Like you said, curandero, because in our culture, it's very known that we kind of seek outside of the Western med as well. Yeah. Helen, since we're in the month of October, and it is known in our comunidades latinas that sometimes we often don't have our women get screened right away. What would be some advice to some listeners that are listening today about breast cancer awareness? Well, from our perspective here locally, what we have seen is, first of all, we in my county, we don't have a higher breast cancer rate in Imperial County. But what we do have is a statistically significant higher rate of late stage breast cancer, diagnosed stages three and four, and those are in specific pockets of our county. The reason I say that is this is kind of where we start. At some point, those women that were diagnosed late stage, and it's very common nationally that Latinas are diagnosed late stage, at some point, those women were early in their stage of cancer. And the question is, why at the late stage? We don't know. We don't know why. But there are some correlations. When you speak of our culture, women are the matriarchs of their home. The family comes first. They are last. Everybody gets taken care of first. Everybody gets taken to the doctor. They're last. So it's preventative to have a to have a mammogram or a pelvic exam. So it's not prioritized. However, as Hispanics, there are certain risk factors genetically and with being diagnosed at a late stage. So. That education is important, number one. And so for us, it's important that that awareness goes out on because if, as they love and are committed to their family, this is a form of that commitment to themselves and their family. Many women are just don't don't get it, don't go have a, a, a mammogram because they're working. And they're working, and if they don't work, they don't get paid, or they lose their seniority. Very tenuous, and I understand those, but this is still a priority, a priority for their wellness, for early detection is the goal. There is a cancer, and for us to understand what, uh, this is all part of their wellness. This is all part of them knowing their bodies, of respecting that aspect of themselves. It's not just for a mammogram and pelvic exam, it's overall because recognizing changes in your body. So really prioritizing that. There are challenges. The appointments for the mammograms are not always easy to obtain. Or if they're concerned that they're going to have to pay a fee or it takes too long or there was a cancellation. So we support these in our outreach efforts to have women think about their bodies and prioritize them differently. And we will support them in obtaining their mammograms as well. So it's a real comprehensive approach to ensure that they are obtaining that early detection if they haven't already been for the screening if they don't already have cancer. So uh, it's very important. The other aspect is it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, a lot of focus on teens, but one out of three breast cancer patients will end up dying of breast cancer and they're dying of metastatic breast cancer. And so that means that one out of three women with breast cancer, will their cancer will evolve to a much more advanced stage. So, you know, there's so much that we're aware of statistically of what the challenges 
of our culture and, and our population is. And our goal is to encourage women to, out of love for themselves, out of love for life, out of love for their family, please go and get a mammogram and get a pelvic exam. Thank you so much for being able to share that experience and for just saying uh, the love of yourself and your body and your family to go get your screenings done because it's so important like you said one in three women who are diagnosed with cancer one of them will actually advance to metastatic cancer and eventually their survival rate will be uh, lesser than the normal range Helen if people have questions in regards to resources from your cancer resource center at the desert area where can they find you we are located at 444 South 8th Street, it's the number 8, 8th Street, Suite B3, El Centro, California, 92243. Uh, that is our main office. Our phone number is 760-353-6571. And our website is www.crcdinc.org. And how about your Facebook page? Where can people find you on Facebook? Oh, they can just look up Cancer Resource Center of the Desert and it'll pop up. It's probably the best way to find us as well. Gracias. So thank you so much for taking the time today out of your busy day to do this interview. And you heard it from Helen. She's doing amazing work in the Imperial Valley. And if you want to get connected to find out more information, she provided her resources and her links. I will be providing those website links onto the podcast once it gets posted. So if you have any questions, feel free to also email me at lasaludablelatina at gmail.com. Helen, muchas gracias. I hope you get to your home safe tonight since I know you had a class today. Yes, thank you Lilia for the invitation and thank you for the interest to know what's happening in our community. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. thank you. Good night. Bye bye.